My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. No matter how bad it gets, just know that you can and will recover. It takes work. It takes hard work. Each week, we talk in detail about what it takes to make it, what it takes to beat your addictions. I am a recovering addict from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. My addiction started in eighth grade. I am now 50. I had over 40 years of very bad habits to break. I hit rock bottom hard. More than once, I nearly died. I would have left my wife and two young children behind. I've been clean and sober for nearly three years. I completely dismantled my entire life and rebuilt it from the ground up. I believe to make it in recovery, it takes a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. It takes a positive mindset. It takes hard work. It takes a village. Join me weekly to learn from my sober superhero guests on the Dismantle Life podcast. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Check me out at dismantle.life. Email me at anthony at dismantle.life anytime. Please be sure to leave a rating and review anywhere you listen to your podcasts and let me know if you want to be on the show. Happy recovery. Well, Denise, thank you so much for coming on the show to share your story. And if it's okay with you to dive right in, I would love to learn a little bit about your journey so we can help others find the sunshine themselves. Sure. Well, I uh, was first introduced into AA when I was 21 years old. And uh, so that was 1983. My sobriety date is March 15th, 1983. And, um, you know, I quote a friend of mine, George uh, C. from UK. I was talking about the old days and what it was like and the boys club. And he says, no, no, no. He said, it's, uh, you mean stale, pale and male? And, uh, you know, that's pretty much the way it was, right? And um, I went in the room. Everybody was way older. I'm going to say they looked ancient, 30, 35. (laughs) And all men, no women. And I thought, what is this? This is not going to fly. Yellow fingers from the cigarettes and all that stuff. And, you know, my first service job was, you know, you're thrown in the kitchen. Well, first of all, after they quit trying to send me to Al-Anon. Um, you know, cause at that point, I mean, barely, barely did they think women would be alcoholics and young, young women know. So I get the, you know, I've spilled more alcohol on my tie than you've drank and, you know, I get all. It would say shit like that to you. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, try and, oh, you're in the wrong room. No, I'm not. And, uh, so my first service (laughs) position now that you talk about the cigarettes is, uh, we had these little, um, oh, capped, cat food tins and they were the ashtrays and you know when I think about it man oh man did people ever ever smoke so you know I was uh, arrogant had lots to say 21 so in I came but you know my drinking I came from an alcoholic background of two parents one very high functioning never slurred their words never missed a day of work that was my mother and um, my stepfather who was completely non-functional and somehow I landed just in the middle somehow. That's and, kind of where I uh, was. I started out totally functional. And then towards the end of my uh, career, so to speak, 
I, I started hitting the skids where shit was falling apart and just coming coming apart at the seams. And thankfully for me, and I say this in a very positive way, I hit rock bottom very, very hard and, and bounced quite a few times. But that rock bottom, I think, saved me from the slow death spiral were to becoming completely unfunctional. So um, I didn't want to interrupt, but I, I just wanted to say no, that's, that's it's interesting cool. that you landed right in the middle because I think I started that highly functional and slowly drank my way into, I mean, is, is dysfunctional the right way to say it? I guess so. But, you know, I think if we have any alcohol backgrounds, usually the dysfunctions are normal anyway. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if I ever actually landed in dysfunction. I think I was just <laughs> playing in dysfunction. Yeah. And that was my normal, so I navigated through the dysfunction, but I get what you're saying as well. And the thing is, is that one old timer was really, really helpful. You know, I had lots to say. It was a podium meeting, and I still go to that same meeting now. I haven't through all the 37 years, but I'm back at my old home group now with my my old first sponsor, and she's 53 years sober. And so many of the old timers have passed, but there's still some there. And they'd say, you know, in those days, they'd say, I'd go in, I'd tell them it was a cult, I'd tell them it was a bunch of shit, they were all brainwashed. You know, if you think uh, there's going to be a party or something that isn't going to happen in the next, I mean, what, I was 21, 50 years that you don't think I'm going to, it was going to require my presence. You guys are crazy. You're all fake laughing. So I'd stand up at the podium and I'd just kind of carry on. And so finally an old timer. And I, I said, this is just like a big country and Western song. You're losing your house, your dog, your wife. I mean, I was outrageous. And, wow, you know, that probably didn't go. I would imagine there was some gulps in the crowd at that point where they probably No one said much, but what they did do is they had a way with people. I was never unruly or... Um, you know, I was just arrogant and young and angry. And, you know, I wanted to be there. I was scared to be there, but I was scared to go. And so, you know, I was this constant battle. So the, you know, the old timers were smart then, right? Unless you were totally disrupting the meeting, they wouldn't remove you, but they did walk up to me at the end. And one guy says, yeah, so you think, you know, this is, it's all these things that you don't need. So why are you here? And uh, you can leave anytime. And, you know, we're not making you stay here. So, you know, the best thing you do is confront an alcoholic, right? Call them on their shit. And then yeah. he'd say to me, you know what? When we think you've got something valuable to say, we'll come back and we'll get you. Well, they left me there for about three and a half months. <laughs> so I was like really pissed off, right? Um, and then another one approached me, a different fellow, and he said, you know, you think that this is like just so wrong and you know you're making fun of what it being a country and western song but have you thought of this you're coming to this meeting you're coming to this group you're coming to this table and what are you bringing zero you got no job you got no relationships you're you can't stop drinking and in my case you know from a very early age when i started at 13 i would say looking back at it that you know i pretty much blacked out i never drank because i love the taste i never drank to get drunk and i never you know, would remember much. So he just said to me, that's all fine. Everything you got to say is fair. He said, it's your opinion. Hmm. But he said that if you don't get sober, you're never going to have a chance to get any of these things to lose. And you know, he just made it. me really think that, you know, I got no hope in hell. I got nothing. I'm coming with nothing. And it wasn't easy. I mean, I wasn't sold on it at all. And, you know, for the, I'd say the bulk of my sobriety, it's always been with men and very few women. 
And um, so, you know, it wasn't an easy road. I can't say I bought in, I stayed sober, you know, maybe the first 10 years and, you know, really did a lot of step work and a lot of meetings. And then after about 10 years, I got busy with my life. And, you know, I think I did what a lot of people do is you, you know, the program and your recovery gives you a life and then you start trying to run around fitting recovery into your life. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I had it backwards that without recovery, I have no life and that recovery had to always be in the forefront. So I wonder how many people think or rather start going to meetings, knowing they need it, but fighting every step of the way in terms of the resistance to the process whatever that process is. I think that's pretty common, I would think, where people say, I'm, I don't need this, or I'm not like you. Or, those are pretty common finger pointing angles people would take, I think. Because um, I did the same thing before I began my sober journey where I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm fine, I have a job, or, or, or I don't need this because, and I would make up some bullshit excuses. Do you think that's pretty common? with people I do and I think it happens silently I don't think necessarily like in my case the 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 internal it was very obvious in the first few years when I came in kind of kicking screaming and I was loud then I thought okay so that doesn't work so you know what I'll just keep my opinions to myself well (laughs) uh, that was that was challenging I mean I don't know what it is I don't think I'm different than many alcoholics but we seem to feel that our opinion is required at all times somewhere (laughs) and so it was a really hard thing for me to to reframe myself. But I think that sometimes the battle is so insidious and it's so quiet. So then my battle just in my fight and my, you know, I didn't get the thing about debating anyone and anything. So instead of doing it out verbally, I do it internally. But still I was having the same result because you always get what you always get. And, and you always, I have always gotten out what I put in. So although I didn't, so then I went through being so verbal for the first 10 years, doing the work really hard in the beginning. Then after 10 years, okay, I got this. Then from 10 to 25, just kind of going to meetings, maybe sporadically for anniversaries, maybe once every few weeks, then to maybe once a month. And, uh, you know, the battle just was internal until finally at 25 years, I found myself through the twi- through the time from about 10 to 25, you know, periods of boredom, complacency, what I would call today as coasting. And an old time friend of mine says, you know, you don't coast usually uphill, it's always down. So, you know, That's then the, compla- the complacency sets in, right? But we don't know it at the time. And, you know, we think we got it and, oh, isn't this great? And I don't know. I have a disease of the mind and, you know, the substance was a symptom. So for me, how it works is that when I got here, 80% of my mind would lie to me and 20% would tell the truth. Now, at about 25 years of sobriety, it was maybe 60, 40. Hmm. Now today, after 37 and a half years, I'd safely say 80% tells me the truth. 20% wants to change and justify and turn and think it'll be different. It's pretty insightful. I, I hadn't thought of it that way where you've earned, you've, you had to fight the fight and earn the shift in the balance or the percentages of lying and the truth telling inside your mind. That, that's really interesting because in, for me, I am acutely aware of my mind telling me 
I don't have to get up at 4.45 to go to boxing or to take my walk or to read my sobriety books or to put the effort of the time in or to catch myself starting to get angry unnecessarily or making excuses in inwardly, not necessarily outwardly, but inwardly talking shit about people, processes, things. I have to really catch myself sometimes. And thankfully, I flex that muscle enough where I can feel it coming and I can feel it happening so I can deal with it the right way. And, and I just actually physically deal with it. I, meaning um, I will physically blow out. I'll take a deep breath and then push it out. And I manifest that physically in my mind with that breath, getting rid of or extinguishing kind of the bad energy. Um, and it's worked for me. And I'm not saying it should work for everybody, but for me, when I feel it coming and building and the pressure, and it is, it is a pressure, it is really a physical pressure I could feel. When I push it out, reset, I'm going to steal something from, from Tony Robbins, uh, the change of state process for me, that really, really works. And um, it's super interesting that you say that that balance percentage of lying to truth has switched because um, mine comes in just waves. Um, if I feel weak, it hits me really hard and I have to do things to put myself back in the right side of things. So that's super interesting, Denise. I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way before. And I think what you're saying too about the physical thing, like I also suffer from anxiety disorder, which I didn't know until I was sober a long time. And that's the same type of thing, right? Is that I have a physical reaction to uh, an emotional thought or feeling. And so it's the same thing, you know, for me with the, the ratio of the lying to self or telling, you know, justifying and making excuses and, uh, it's the same thing. And like you said, doing something physical, you know, I'm disabled, but I do a walking meditation. Yeah. So anytime I have to have that physical release from the emotional, as you're saying, the emotional event. And so I found myself 25 years sober and, you know, busy, 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 you know, living my life. Um, so I think living the dream, hitting a few meetings here and there, but not consistently doing the work. And, and, not saying that I maximized what I could get out of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but the thing is, is that, sorry to say, but after three, four decades, I mean, you can only hear some of the things so many times, read so many ways. So uh, 25 years, I had a full-blown breakdown. And so what you're referring to is I had the physical reaction to what was going on mentally. And so clearly I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't, that shift hadn't been made. Um, you know, I had been struggling through the years to make the shift. So 25 years, I had a full breakdown and, um, you know, have been disabled since. But that bottom was a worse bottom. That was my skid row bottom. The emotional, mental, and spiritual bottom was far worse than, you know, the physical part when I quit drinking. And I stopped drinking because I had thought I had killed a friend's daughter. Uh, she was five years old and stepped off a school bus. And I'd been driving drunk that day along the road. And I locked myself in the house for four days until finally they came. And, you know, second day I had the nerve to go out and look under the car and then come back in. And so I was just drinking, taking drugs, Valium, prescription drugs primarily, until they finally you know, told me who had done that. Now, my point being, they could have come and arrested me. And I would have known, I would not have known any difference. So 
you know, that was the primary reason I was always, no matter how tormented I was mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I just always knew I couldn't return to that because when I drank, I didn't remember. But oh, then well. sober, I had a dis, and sober, I have a disease of not remembering. So either way, I'm going to drink and I'm not going to remember, but I got to stay in the program and I got to stay focused because I have a disease sober of not remembering. I forget to remember the things I need to do. And my disease is a disease of perception. Hmm. So there I was at 25 years in a mess. So I got back on my feet and good sponsorship again and really took a look at what I was doing, realized I put living ahead of recovery and had to switch it around. Then the journey began and the work began. And I would say the real work I did from 25 years to 37 last March before COVID. Was it better? Mm, I'd say 50% better. But keep in mind as well, it's a lot different sobering up, I think, at 20 and then starting to do the work at almost 60. Yeah. Just help maybe the listeners and myself understand so a, a sober rock bottom, I'd never thought of that. So 25 years in sobriety, um, you hit an emotional rock bottom that you say you described was more challenging to recover from than the, the first time that you uh, quit drinking to get sober because it, it, you just weren't finding that it wasn't giving you what the program wasn't giving you what you needed. Could you help me understand a little bit of why it was and I, I forgive the silly question. I'm just trying to better well, understand. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll try to explain it as best as I can. And then if you, you know, come back and correct me or put me in a different I would never correct you. Case. <laughs> so basically there I am at 25 years. Okay. I feel I've worked at it as hard, the best of my ability. Okay. But I'm still not getting a result I need to get for myself. So then I'm disabled. I spend all the time getting myself back on track however somehow the soul's still not fed somehow i'm still bored somehow with anxiety it's still not it's not keeping my interest so then what happened is that 37 years which was march of this last year before covid so that mental and emotional torment is horrible i mean i'm i'm stark raving mad. I am a uh, dry drunk I for several years and just wished, you know, I wanted to die uh, in some cases rather than even drink. And I remember saying to someone, oh, you know what? I just feel suicidal. But, you know, isn't that great because the program works? And like they're like, I don't think that's the right approach. But for me, I didn't want to drink because I knew deep down a drink is never going to solve the problem. But I just was so miserable and so unhappy. And, you know, joy, where was the freedom? Nowhere. So as it turned out, I was substantially better than I was. I got back into routine meetings and then COVID hit in March. My sobriety date's March 15th. And so, of course, our meeting closed face to face. And I had met Sandra Losty, um and she um, started Recovery Hour in Ireland, and she's opened that platform uh, through Twitter for people who, when COVID began. Sandra had been in Vancouver about eight years previous, and we had met through the program, through the meetings. So because our, our anniversaries are close, her sobriety date, she's 25 years, it is uh, March 20th. So on March 15th, of course, my, my anniversary came along, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to drop her a line. 
wish her a happy anniversary. And when I did so, she said, you know, I have this recovery hour meeting and here's the meeting ID. Why don't you try it? Now keep in mind, my entire experience in AA has been concentrating on the similarities, not looking at the differences. It's been pretty textbook, pretty by the book, what the first 100 did. And a lot of it hasn't been revised in my opinion. So a lot of the NA literature and things like that have really been revised. So, you know, I take what I like, I leave the rest. So I attend her meeting, but the thing is, she said it's mixed fellowships. I'd never had experience in 37 years with that. So with great discomfort, I went. And, you know, previously I was telling everyone, oh, I'd never go on Zoom, you know, it breaks the traditions, you know, it's press level, level of press radio events. I mean, I was just, you know, bought into the whole old concept. So it's pretty hard to change those ideas, but I did attend her meeting. And the very first meeting I was at, she was talking about a sponsee of hers that said, oh, you know, I'm not gonna do Zoom and it's not like face-to-face. And she says, yeah, but she says, you know, if your drink of choice is scotch, you'll drink beer if that's all there is. <laughs> I, thought, it's a I, thought, I thought I'm screwed because there's no point in me just saying I'm here, you know, I'll come for this one meeting and, um, you know, but I don't do Zoom and I don't do mixed recovery. But you know, I mean, a substance is a substance. So finally, the shocking thing for me is, I felt like a fish out of water. I didn't say much in the beginning. And I mean, these people were from all fellowships. Now, I know people to this day in the AA program that will not go into meetings, you know, that people can't talk about drugs. Still, we got a blue card in some meetings, and I'm not judging that. I'm just saying that was my experience. So you go from this pretty rigid old experience into a meeting with everybody talking from every fellowship. Wow, was it refreshing. You know, this is, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah. So I thought, this is what I'm looking for. So, you know, it was amazing. So um, one man was a gambler, isn't it? fact and he told his story and I didn't catch the first part and I just remember at the end he said you know and I'm grateful for these 46 years and I thought wow what an amazing alcoholic story and then he said I'm from Gamblers Anonymous and finally it clicked it doesn't matter what the substance is this man didn't even put a substance in his body and he had the same mental obsession and the physical reaction and I thought finally this is what I've been waiting to hear. So then I started changing those old ideas. I continued to go to recovery hour. She's done amazing service and now they're in a second lockdown. So, you know, it's a a wonderful platform, but it was a real process in changing my old ideas after many decades. And instead of thinking about only concentrating on similarities, honoring people's differences. And she encourages us to honor and respect people's differences. And I thought it really opens up recovery. And that's why I'm saying, you know, for me, it's been an experience of refreshing and renewing my recovery because that was the piece I was missing. And I just kept looking for it and looking for it. At the same time, I met Pamela Pesta, who has written Letting Go of the Thief. And, you know, I, I just happened to see it on Twitter. I was never on, really on social media, but I did go on Twitter to stay in touch with the recovery people. And I came across Pam's book. It's amazing. It really well, is I, amazing. 
and, and pulling a big book and they gave you some of the literature, you know how for the very first time you're reading words and they're coming right off the page and you're thinking, how did that person get in my head? Yes. That, yeah. That is how that book affected me. And specifically, there was a chapter that I came across calling Feeling Edgy in Recovery. And it talks about this edgy feeling that you have and this restlessness and feeling, you know, but not wanting to drink. And you know what? That's what I was looking for. That was what my issues were. So it just kind of morphed into something. In the last six months, you know, I've been glad to be a part of the recovery hour. Um, Pam and I are really working together to, I approached her as far as getting a woman's voice and the book out there. Sandra continues to do wonderful work on the recovery hour and given us all a platform. We've all met there. And so really the worst thing ever that I thought with COVID has really turned out to be the best thing for me for recovery. And yeah. really opened my mind to, you know, we can't ignore people's differences. We have to look at and honor people's differences. Yeah. And that I learn, I don't learn from the similarities. I learn from the differences. That's a really important takeaway. So there's three, if I may. 37 and a half years sober, it is quite an accomplishment. And congratulations on your hard-earned sobriety. That's amazing. And I love the fact that you just pointed out looking at the similars, uh, rather the similarities, but also the differences. I really do believe that, that is where the magic happens. And just like anything, you have to be dedicated to embracing the change of process because what got you here will not get you there is a phrase that uh, I did not make that phrase up. Everyone's probably heard that. But what I like about that is it it gives you leave in a positive way to to take on new challenges in different ways. It's a refreshing process in a way. It's it's a good way to throw out the old and let the new in the door. Um, and I think that's, not to put words in your mouth, but I think that's what you're saying in that try what works and don't just stay stodgy. Not that you are stodgy, Denise, please understand that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is don't, don't let old processes or old habits guide you every step of the way. Embrace yourself, try new things. And I think that that's the magical part in real growth. And I love that you pointed that out. Pamela is wonderful. She's been a guest on the show. Her book is amazing. I read three books every day uh, in the morning that are dedicated to recovery. Hers is one of them. And you're right. It She gets in your head in a wonderful way because the words on the page feel like they're spilling out of my brain. It is crazy. And it's extraordinarily well-written. I've learned a lot. I'd just like to ask one more question before we end our really incredible session is how are you doing today? It sounds like, as you just described, things are going great in that you've embraced these new processes. Um, what would, what coaching would you give a newbie? And I'm considering myself a newbie. I'm only three years in compared to your 37 and a half years. So uh, I have to tip my hat to you. Well, you know, the one thing to talk about this, I've talked about this to Pam and other people is it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm a good example of you know, don't be impressed by the years. You know what? It's 24 hours. We're all doing recovery 24 hours at a time. We're all getting up. You got up before me this morning. You're sober longer than me this morning. I mean, (laughs) we're all just doing the same thing every day. And, you know, people have that idea that people have been sober a long time, but you know, the suffering alcoholic isn't always a new person. It's quite often the old person that's been there. And 
I just want to say not to correct anything, but I wouldn't, AA is my foundation and that's what got me sober. That's what's going to keep me sober. But I think it's important to not kind of throw away the old, whatever work for a person, but to take what you want and leave the rest and incorporate different. And from AA, they told me uh, how to be honest, how to be open-minded and how to be willing. And for the, you know, I've been carried by my higher power many, many years. And for some reason, I've always had the gift of being willing. And that saved my ass. And so I would say to anyone, you know, it's a process. It doesn't mean you come in, you recover life. I mean, I've been with my partner 33 years, who's now in a wheelchair. I mean, I'm disabled. There's issues. Stuff happens that still would have happened anyway in your life. But at least without substance, with a program of choice and with an open mind and a willingness to change. And, you know, we just have so much more available to us than people not in recovery. So, you know, my right now, where am I I'm at? I'm just trying to stay open and willing to do the next right thing. And, you know, I don't regret the past. And I just really hope that someone can benefit from my experience, you know, and uh, know that speak up if you're suffering and you've been sober a long time, put a voice to it. Don't suffer in silence like I did. And, you know, then when I did say something, you get varying reactions like, well, you've been sober long enough, you should have known better. No, I knew what I knew. And you know what you know until you know something different. So I'm just grateful for the opportunity at this stage to be having a new passion, to have, you know, a book that helps me on a daily basis, to know and meet the people I have, like yourself and other people through Twitter, and to just pass the experience along. You know, if one person speaks up when they're in long-term sobriety and says, I'm suffering, because there's many, many, many people relapsing with double-digit sobriety on a daily basis. And Pammy even speaks about, you know, not only did I kind of find her book, but then exactly where I was at, she speaks about her friend Mort, who had 20 classes and went out drinking. So, you know, it is a reality for long-term sobriety. So I think it's important that we understand, number one, the suffering alcoholic is not always a new person. And secondly, if you are suffering as a person with long-term sobriety, speak up, tell somebody. Denise, it is an honor to have you on the show. Uh, I have learned so much from you and thank you for taking time out of your day to share your insight, your knowledge, and your love. It's really been wonderful and I'm excited to count you as a friend. So thank you so thank much you, for being Anthony, on the show. And thank you for your support and um, you know, I just hope it helps somebody and thank you for the opportunity. It is my pleasure and Denise, you have a wonderful day today and I will be in touch very often. Take care.